Ladies and gentlemen, the spectacular Spider-Man! Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Otto Octavius was weak. Call me Dr. Octopus. From now on, we're poison to Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Welcome back to another episode of Spectacular Radio. I'm Zach Joyner, the executive producer of the Spidey Dude Radio Network. But this is, of course, not my show. It is the man known as Greg XB on the interwebs. Greg, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be back. And I think it's been a while since... It hasn't been a while since we recorded a interview, but it has been a while since we recorded a fan panel. A really long while, it feels like. I mean... Yeah. I mean, so I think we should get caught up, and I do want to introduce back to the show Gerard Delatour, who has not been with us for a very long time. I was I was trapped in the uh, in the Phantom Zone for a little while, but I'm back. <laughs> point of point of uh, of of, of uh, point to make is that uh, Gerard is in fact sitting next to me. We are we are broadcasting live together. I don't know when the last time we did that was. Ooh, a long time. Yeah. Um, from Zach's very messy office. It's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> I have to watch every step I take, otherwise, lest the Marvel Legend skull crush beneath my feet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I had two young men that were staying with me, uh, with their mom, were staying with me, and uh, so they were a little more rambunctious than I anticipated, and they bumped my shelf and knocked all of them off. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have as cool a looking shelf right now as Greg does. <laughs> oh, I've, I've seen Greg's shelf. He, he makes a production out of it. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a big flex. Big flex for Pashansky. Oh, yeah, you should uh, yeah, you should see some of the stuff that I've added recently, what with especially with that Spider-Man retro wave that just came out. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's very pretty. It's very pretty. So here's the question. Here's the question, though, for those retro wave figures, in package or out of package? Out of package. See, because I I feel like the packaging for those is like half of the appeal. Yeah. So I I almost when I ordered I ordered the whole wave I almost ordered two sets just because that packaging is so damn good like so good i had considered it but i there's other things i'm collecting and i just wanted to you know i had to budget i did i did send my green goblin off to anthony's customs who added a pointer finger hand to the to the left and a and a blast effect you know the green goblin's yellow blast effects yeah and he fixed Mm -hmm. also fixed the damn pupils on that figure yeah, I Zach showed me his, and yeah, those pupils are way too large. Not not a fan. Yeah, that the yeah. rest of the head sculpt's great, but but the the eyes just look weird. Yeah. So yeah, so I've got I've gotten used to it, but like it's very off putting when you first see it. Yeah, so but yeah, he fixed it up, and he's got the blast effect, the better pupils, and he looks so much better. And I put it on an older glider, which I didn't like the glider it came with, and. It's hanging from the ceiling, blasting at my Romita head, Spidey. I did buy two of those Spideys, though. Actually, I didn't buy two. I bought one, and I won the other one in a contest. Nice! Well done. Yeah, so I've, well. Got, so I've got Romita head fighting Green Goblin, and I've got Ditko head 
fighting Doc Ock surrounded by the classic Sinister Six. So beautiful. Every place that I've seen those retro wave cards out, like almost all of them are gone. Like I, yeah. I, I saw a couple of Daredevils. I saw an Electro, and I'm like they had like three Daredevils, so I know they had three cases. And so, yeah, those things flew off the shelves. But now our Walmart finally decided to put like uh, the Ant Man, uh, the Wasp from Ant Man and the Wasp from two years ago, finally on clearance. <laughs> oh my god, that thing was peg warming like crazy. But uh, I will say, that, oh, I know. Uh, like I could pick her up for like five bucks or, or ten bucks right now, but I'm like, Egh. I don't even have, like I have like very few MCU figures left. Like I've kind of been steadily like selling them off, just because I don't have the room. Like Gerard can see that I have like two areas where Marvel Legends are at, and like they're you, both. Cramped. You can fix this up. Trust me, I have ideas. We'll, we'll discuss it later. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm very uh, very excited about the about the new waves, and we'll go into very big detail on a new show called Spider Dude Experience. <laughs> Look at this guy plugging. Sounds, yes, yeah, sounds That's... fun. And before all, and Gerard, how have you been? How has COVID been treating all of us? <laughs> Oh, COVID has not treated me well. In fact, you could say it's bent me over and made it its bitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get any further into it. Let's just say work has not been fun. <laughs> I had to, I had to, I had to take him to get tested. That was, that was awkward. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that was good. Um, I ended up missing two weeks of work, even though I didn't even have the, the damn thing. But yeah. <laughs> And you know, that's how that's how that rolls. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, Gerard's Gerard's been he is a he is an essential worker. Yeah, oh yeah, don't don't even uh, don't 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 leave it at that. Leave it at that. <laughs> so 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 when your company rewarded you for being an essential worker, um, did they offer you any topping on the pizza that you wanted? <laughs> no, they rewarded me by giving me a demotion and paying me less. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's lovely. It's got dark. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was demoted over a year ago. Then I was re-promoted. I'm not going to tell that story here on the off chance that someone that I work with stumbles across this and decides yep. to make a big deal out of it because you never know. Non-disclosure agreements. Yep. Indeed. Same thing. Oh yeah. All right. But um, let's dive into some news that happened just yesterday. So there was this um, podcast on YouTube that did that. It's three guys, and they invited five spectacular Spider-Man guests on for a reunion. People that we have all had on at various times: Greg Wiseman, Vic Cook, Sean Galloway, Josh Keaton, and Vanessa Marshall. All five of them are friends of the show, really phenomenal people. And the person who organized this, one of the people who hosted this podcast, is Michael Vogel who was the executive in charge of the of Spectacular Spider-Man. He was Greg and Vic's boss. So when he started asking some questions, Greg kind of... Um, questions I would have asked in the past and have, Greg couldn't quite... I mean, Greg tried to be as vague as he possibly could, but he couldn't just hand-wave them like he would whenever I would ask or Zach would ask or yeah. anyone. So, um... <laughs> What he's saying is, is we're less important than Vogel, which is fine. <laughs> I mean, that is that used to be his boss, so okay. 
So I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. So so especially with Josh Keaton and Vanessa Marshall there, Michael Vogel said, "So Greg, tell him about the about the slow burn towards Peter and Mary Jane that you pitched to us." <laughs> no, that's a that's a that's an exciting uh, look. I, when you when you watch the series as a whole, you know that that's always a part of the game. Like as much as they were, you know, really pushing Gwen and Peter together and having the Liz play the role of Betty, really uh, detour. I, I you can tell that there was there there was plans. Uh, especially like when you watch like we're about the episode we're talking about today, this episode uh, subtext, or I'm sorry, or we'll, uh, we'll be talking about in the next episode, not this episode, but the next episode, you, you can tell that there was, there was things being built for next, the, the season three. And so we'll definitely be talking about that next, the, the next fan panel. But um, no, I, I'm excited about uh, uh, just, you know, the fact that there is a, that there was something along these lines shall that we, the show shall we dive a, into what Gre- shall we dive into what Greg said absolutely please well well Greg re- replied well we had this five year and beyond plan he talked about the five seasons they planned plus the DVD movies they had hoped to do and and in the early days it would be Peter and Gwen that they would be building along the path towards building up Peter and MJ. And he and Greg also said at one point that he had this very he had this notion, I've asked him this directly and got vague. He had this notion, then he said I wasn't even sure if I was gonna do this or not, that you see, MJ vi- lives in uh, Staten Island, but she would occasionally visit her aunt. So she probably watched saw Peter coming out of the window once and mm. so he so mm. he tried not to confirm but I'm going to take this confirmation of my theory that within the universe of this show, MJ knew all along, which makes sense at, at a lot of various moments. Well, I mean, again, what, like what we talked about in the uh, in the interview, having the hindsight that you have of 40 year, forty something some odd years of publishing history, you're able to get away with, you know, utilizing that hindsight. And I'm sure that you know when Greg was doing his deep dive that the subject of Mary Jane knowing came up. Um, and so I, you know, I, I like that he kind of got back to the corner by someone that like, can't, you know, he can't, he can't not say what the plan was to, to Vogel. (laughs) Vogel already knew the plan anyway. And he also alluded to how he built up, he was building up Gwen and MJ as best friends, as opposed to, Caddy rivals like they often were in the uh, old comics. Yeah, like in the lead, like George, you can you jump in on this too. Like in the lead did go era, they they were not friendly, but then it got kind of got retconned over the years that oh, Gwen was my best friend, <laughs> and they were definitely doing that, doing that here. And Greg also mentioned, kind of under his breath, a tragedy that might bring Peter and MJ together. So. Listeners, take that for what you will. Snap. Crackle pop. (laughs) Krispies. Snap. What a happy sound. Snap is the happiest sound I've found. You may clap, rap, tap, slap, but snap makes the world go round. Snap, crackle, pop, rice, krispies. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
but Greg, like I say, what what else was was there any other like major oh. uh, or not? Minor revelations. Those were the big ones that stood out to me, although there were some small ones. He talked about a few, a couple times here, but to reiterate, he mentioned how he had hoped to, at one point to have ver- to have a once-a-season guest star. He talked about Human Torch. He talked about how he wanted to do an episode where Cyclops and Beast, in the early days of Xavier's school before Marvel Girl and Angel Nice Man are recruited. He, Greg calls... Jean Grey Marvel Girl. That'll give you a clue as to where his mindset is when it comes to these characters, but... <laughs> right. Marvel Girl. Man, that is that is definitely the 60s... <laughs> six, swinging 60s Lee, Lee Kirby uh, X-Men. You know, back when... Before before Beast got too furry. But yeah... But, but, but anyway, he discussed an episode where Cyclops and Beast would come to try to recruit Peter, thinking that he's a mutant. And then... And Captain America. He discussed how Uncle Ben would have been a big fan of Captain America, had all his memorabilia up in the attic, and so when Cap got thawed out of the ice, it would have he would have seen Cap in a way as a connection to Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like like I love I remember those those six Forgotten Warriors episodes from the '90s show. Like those were fun, but. I do remember like, there were there were episodes that were edited with the scenes out of order. Yeah, uh, but they they have their problems. But I, I I got the spirit of it, and I always I always appreciated that. Yeah, this this is the kind of thing that always gives me bittersweet feelings because you always hear like, oh man, these plans were sounded great, and then you realize, but they're not going to happen. So mm. listen, yeah, it's no. one of those things where I've always said if if Disney bought like Sony the Spider-Man rights outright, that's the only way it might occur. Yeah. Because if they, if, if they were intrinsically tied to those rights, then, because we already know once the next Spidey movie comes out, you know, that, that the MTV series inspect Spidey will probably get another re-release because they're not, they're no longer being published on Blu-ray. So I'm sure that they're just waiting for the next Spidey movie. Oh yeah. So that way they, they always do. These things are cyclical. I mean, Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, the, the the best thing that came out of ASM two, as far as I'm concerned, was the Blu-ray release of this series. Yes, yes, agree. Yes. Speaking of the movies, because of COVID and working at home and being at home, I have I've had enough time that I finally, after all these years, have been able to finally pick a definitive favorite Spider-Man movie. I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's just say this: we can all, I think we can all agree that ASM two is the worst. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it really I mean, is. I mean, like, like I mean, the, people try to sit there and lump Spider-Man 3 as the worst, but it's it's the worst of the, the Raimi films. But it's actually, yes, it has it has some intrinsic problems, but it, it okay, the Raimi films are A's. The Spider-Man 3, the first two Raimi films are A's. The Spider-Man 3 is a B, a B minus. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a B film. It's not... You know, there's things that I love about it, and there's things that I don't love about it. Yeah, and and then and then you've got the uh, Garfield films, which I don't like at all, and and then there's the Tom Holland films. And I like Tom Holland himself, but a lot of the choices they make in those movies just baffle me. And I, it's like I want to know behind the scenes what they were thinking, why they chose to go in this direction. I mean, why mm. MJ is Michelle, whatever her last name, Michelle Jones. Jones. I mean, I mean, I, I I'm. I'm confused by them. I mean, there's there's a part of me 
there's the, the there is the prevailing theory that it's because uh, the way that the Marvel deal was made was that they had access to Peter Parker and like May Parker, but like all the rest of the characters, they weren't they, the secondary characters. They were having to do like out of like is like I, Betty Brant looks straight up like a Gwen Stacy. Yeah, I can buy that because it sure as hell isn't Kevin Feige because I've seen what Kevin Feige has done with I don't know the rest of the Marvel universe. Yeah, it, it's similar to the the Star Trek situation where after Viacom split into two companies, they did the had that whole weird thing where they have to license Star Trek to themselves from one arm of the company to the other, yeah. and that requires it to be twenty five percent different or something like that. Yeah, which is why all, like you know things like Star Trek Discovery they they look they don't quite look right, the characters don't quite act right. It, there's some weird, vague legality. They have to be 25% different. I, I could see something like that with Spider-Man's characters in the MCU, where they, they, they can be, they can have the same names and everything like that, but they have to be different somehow. Yeah, yeah. and like, and I also think that's also why we haven't got Uncle Ben shot dead, you know, Peter well, Parker's responsibility. A part of that was also me thinking... Fanboys raised for years. I don't want to see Uncle Ben die again. I don't want to hear about Uncle Ben dying again, and and that becoming a very be careful what you wish for moment. But the, right. the cycle, but yeah, the cycle that makes back sense. to the beginning when I said my favorite Spider-Man movie. This is a very very unconventional choice because this isn't really even officially a Spider-Man movie. But I finally watched after hearing about it for many years the 1992 fan film the green goblin's last stand and i watched all the behind the scenes stuff and they made that movie in 1992 with no computers for a budget of 400 dollars and when you think about it like that that is fucking impressive when you look at what they managed to accomplish absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. have you two seen this i've seen the trailer for it i remember it um because it was being shared all over the message board. I remember especially when they got it, when they were able to finally put it on DVD, like, uh, the guy that created it was, like, all over the message boards, like, promoting the crap out of it back in, like, 2002, around the time, or right before the Raimi film came out. Or right, maybe right after. It was right after. It was between the first two Raimi films. And so I have, I never, I never saw the full, the full, uh, the full movie, but I did see the trailer. And the trailer looked, I mean, considering the budget that they had, the shoestring budget they had, it was it was actually really pr- well produced. Yeah, I'd love to see anyone produce a movie even better than that with just $1,000. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of that was, uh, let's ignore all notions of safety or getting permits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that, yes. But, believe but, that, but that's part of what makes it fun in a weird way. Mm-hmm. You've seen it too, hard. Uh, I saw it years ago. It's been a long time. I, I, I think I need to rewatch it again yeah. soon. But so yeah, that's I, I know it's probably weird me playing that at number one, but it but it is. But if I were to pick an official one, it's probably the probably the very 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 first Raimi mo- movie. Looking back at that, they did the origin really well, and overall, I thought well, it was a, I thought I thought it was a it was an, there was some corny stuff in it, but it was really well paced and really well done. The second movie I think hits higher highs. For me, it also hits some lower lows at the same time, even though I still really like it. So I think it's a whole package. It's the first movie for me. Yeah, uh, see, I, 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 I think I've watched the first movie more than the second one. But critically speaking, I, I feel the second one 
just took everything that, that was good about the first one and elevated it because as much as I loved Defoe as the Goblin. <laughs> yeah, very funny. Uh, the, the suit, you know, even like the, the, the most menacing part of the when he has the suit on is when he lifts the isolates. And you can see the mouth moving, and it's it's when he's got you know Aunt May saying you know the, the Lord's it, prayer. Finish it, finish it. <laughs> you know, like that's when he looks the most threatening. The rest of the time, he kind of looks a little cartoony. I will say this: the CGI has not aged well. No, no, especially no like the 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 was it Times Square? Yeah, yeah. There, there's this one orc goblin in Return of the King that every time I see him, I'm like, yeah, that's Green Goblin. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, considering how close they came out together, yeah. No, the, like, yeah, Spider-Man 2 is probably still my favorite also, but the, the thing the thing about those movies that, that having looked back on them, they're, they're goofy and cartoony, but I, I find that that's what I like about them, is that they have a special kind of charm to them that, that Somehow, somehow, even though there have been what, like, however many dozens of superhero movies since, it still makes them unique. The biggest thing it, that I feel is missing is the quips, and not in a way that, that are forced in a lot of the more modern Marvel movies. But yeah, but um, yeah, Bendis, Brian Michael Bendis, who's writing, I'm I've never been a fan of, was actually invited in to to contribute lines of dialogue for Spidey when they were making the movie, and he came up with a line where Spidey makes fun of the Green Goblin's costume and the executive looks at him, gives him the evil eye and says, that suit costs $50,000. <laughs> that sounds like that sound, movie that producer sounds like, crap. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like uh, Sony. Not true. But I'm sorry, but he's going to make fun of, of that suit. Like, And even when there was lines of, of humor, that is my only problem with Toby and the suit, is that... I remember the phrase, put her down, Gobby, but it just sounds so hollow and wooden. It's the, it's my least favorite part of, of what that McGuire the, brought. That was, the, that was the only, that was the biggest flaw in his performance. And don't get me wrong, uh, wrong he's still miles ahead of uh, Andrew Garfield. Yes. But Andrew Garfield could, he nailed the humor. That was the, that was the two, the two things that I liked about the Garfield movies was when he was in the suit, he nailed the humor. However, the suit, especially in that first movie, was horrendous. But um, the chemistry with him and Emma Stone was there that I didn't that I felt when I was like I felt there was more chemistry between Dunstan McGuire when I was younger. But the older I've gotten, and when after seeing Garfield and Emma Stone together, it's like okay, this is what real chemistry looks like. To be honest, to, to be honest if you want to see chemistry in a superhero movie between two leads, and this is a really strange one to go to, but I felt the movie that had the best love interest love story and it was honestly the first Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And that's the weirdest place to expect to find that. <laughs> I'll always I'll always say, though, if you want uh, Tobey Maguire doing quips and being being fun and the stuff like that, game. 
You know, video games are a perfect complement to the movies because he he's, he voices Spider-Man in all three of those movie games, and he gets to be the jokey. Let me make fun of the shocker looking like a, a like a quilt <laughs> Spider-Man. That, that was yeah. also originally Josh Keaton for the video game, but they dubbed him over with Toby, which later happened to him with Drake Bell and Avengers, as we all know. And didn't Drake Bell recently get accused of uh, assault or something? Oh God, I don't even know. Anymore. <laughs> no, well, not only that, wasn't he was bankrupt for a while? I think. Yeah, he he. Yeah, he's got problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about the episode. Yeah, I really think we should. Let me pull up my little script here. We're gonna dive into Gangland. It's Valentine's Day, but the opposing factions of New York's underworld are showing no love. Criminals from both tombstones and silver mains mobs are at war with each other in places as unlikely as a flower shop, a fight which Spidey breaks up, though he forgets to pick up flowers for his dinner date with Liz. Despite this, Harry is glad to see Peter show up at Jazzy Johnny's. Yay! <laughs> and both are surprised to see a beautiful Gwen Stacy step out of the cab with Mary Jane. Liz, however, is... Well, we'll get there. Elsewhere, J. Jonah Jameson is being dragged to the opera house at Lincoln Center by his wife Joan as she demands a romantic evening, or else. As Rigoletto warms up, a meeting of malevolence is taking place high above the audience. In one corner sits Tombstone, the reigning big man of crime, who wants to keep the criminal element as he currently runs it. Across from him is Silvio Silvermane Manfredi, who intends to return things to an old-fashioned, mafia-style family. Rounding out the meeting is Dr. Octopus, the master planner, who feels that supervillains and science are the way of the future. Accompanied by the respective, subord or the respective subordinates, Hammerhead, Silver Sable, and Vulture, the trio begin their meeting. At Jazzy Johnny's, Peter's group is suddenly interrupted by Flash, and his posse showing up, and they're all made to share the table. Flash takes the opportunity to ask Peter a favor. Don't let him say or do anything stupid around Shashan. A very tall order indeed. <laughs> but Peter agrees to, to subtly warn Flash with a friendly quote-unquote elbow. Back at Lincoln Center, Tombstone, Silverman, and Doc Ock share their pleasantries, but the situation quickly turns violent when they begin asking each other about who set up the summit between them. Hammerhead knocks out Sable and Vulture, thro Vulture and throws a machine gun to Tombstone. Doc Ock fights back with his arms while Silverman pulls his own ace in the hole, a suit of powered armor, probably supplied by the Tinkerer. As her fight tears up the room and falls into the lobby, Hammerhead helps himself to the meal, with dreams of becoming the new big man once the three villains kill each other. As his dinner date continues, Peter is suddenly called by Robbie at the bugle. Frederick Patch Foswell had gone undercover at Lincoln Center to spy on the villains, and needs someone for photos, and Peter is forced to bail on the date for for work, but only barely enough time to tell Liz goodbye, except the goodbye is actually meant for Gwen instead. When he shows up as Spider-Man, the three villains begin to attack him as well as each other, though their attempts to call their allies for backup are met with cell phone interference. At Jazzy Johnny's, Liz's brother Mark is seen talking with a suspicious, mustached man, Blackie Gaxton, when he, where, and then he suddenly buys a basket of roses for the table with a suspicious pile of money. Liz's expression begins to, turns to a frown to Mark's face. 
Meanwhile, Harry is angry that Peter bailed on the date, and Flash is still trying not to look like an idiot around Shashan. Eventually, Shashan explains to Flash that she likes him simply for being an honest person, and the two share a dance. Spidey is still struggling with keeping the villains in fighting under control, especially in regards to innocent bystanders. When Doc Ock manages to pin Spidey down, he suggests to Tombstone and Silvermane that they should work together to ensure the death of their mutual wall-crawling pest. Tombstone refuses as he can't afford to be seen collaborating with supervillains and criminals in public. Silvermane has no such issue and attempts to crush Spidey in a powered armor bear hug, but Spidey removes him from the fight by killing his suit's hydraulics. Upstairs, Sable has recovered and demands Hammerhead to tell her who's jamming the phones, but Hammerhead, clearly confused about the whole situation, shrugs and walks away. Doc Ock eventually tears a chunk of the floor out, causing him, Spidey, and Tombstone to collapse into a utility tunnel. Spidey takes advantage of this to knock out Doc Ock and to pull out his harness's battery. All that remains is Tombstone, who has no issues with pounding Spidey to a pulp now that no one's watching. After a brutal fight, Spider-Man emerges victorious and sees to it that all three of the crime lords are taken away before returning to Liz at her home. However, Mark refuses to let Peter see Liz out of anger for him clearly preferring Gwen over her. The next day at the police precinct, Spidey is furious to learn that Tombstone made bail. Captain Stacy reassures Spidey that Tombstone is under very close observation and constant surveillance, making it that much harder to continue his criminal activities. It seems to placate Spidey, but Stacy warns there is now a power vacuum in the criminal underworld, and that nature abhors a vacuum. Indeed, Tombstone has already been forced to yield to the new big man of crime, the Green Goblin. So yeah, we're done with this episode. It's one of the most talked about and popular episodes of the series. I think they made a really good use of all. I think they they said they use source music for this one. I forget the term. We, and we just interviewed Greg yeah. and Andrew about this while back. Source music instead of the usual soundtrack for all three stories. I forgot to mention a very uh, thirsty Dr. Bromwell going to Aunt May's house, but <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> that was a thing. Like, oh yeah, I re- I remember when we we were talking about that with Greg. It, Greg kind of just chuckled, be like, hey. She may be old, but, you know, she's, she's not dead. But I, th- but I think I'm going to begin... Like I think I'm going to begin this by throwing out a shout-out to Michael. That kid, Michael, who appeared, Greg already explained this to us, he was a contest winner, apparently, when the show was on Kids WB, even though they'd already known it wasn't going to be on Kids WB for Season 2, there was a contest put out by Kids WB to be featured you and your school in an episode of the show. So even though they changed networks, Greg wanted to honor the commitment commitment anyway. Yeah, yeah. It, it. I don't know if we weren't able to find like any specifics on it, because like Greg and I both looked for for like sourcing on it. Um, but I remember since hearing, Greg Wiseman, I remember hearing you know. theories when this episode there. Is that Michael Morbius? Oh jeez. <laughs> Well, no, I think he was season three. Yeah, I, I've never heard anything about Michael Morbius for the show, but still, you know what? Congratulations to Michael. I hope you're out there still a fan, and I hope you're giving us a listen. And yeah. um, write in, write in, especially for our final show, or leave us a voice message. Eight one eight nine two five six six three one. That's eight one eight nine two five six six three one. The email address is spectacularradio@gmail.com. And one of the things that everyone talks about with this, and when I 
when I put together the uh, in when I edited together the interview with Greg and Andrew over this episode, because of the opera, I had to throw in a reference to Jerry Seinfeld singing the th- opening theme song to Bugs Bunny and Tweety with Elaine saying, "I think it's <laughs> I think it's really un- un- sad that all your knowledge of high culture comes from Bugs Bunny cartoons." It was, that was actually a fun conversation. None of us were were particularly fans of opera. Greg, not Greg, not Andrew. It's too high culture for us but he, but i think when he when he when he played as an homage to gangster films like godfather which is what they were going for these uh three gangsters coming together yeah it, it just came I, off as fun to me in a way it does when bugs bunny goes to the opera <laughs> <laughs> well and, and like 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 what we kind of alluded to in that in that interview <clears throat> silvermane being the the old codger I remember the Silvermane episodes from the 90s show, and it was like a direct, like, um, a, a direct a homage to the Tablet of Time story. <clears throat> but here, it's, it's, they're playing he feels, yeah, they're playing, yeah, they're, I mean, I'm not, he's old school, yeah. I just want to be a part of the family. We may have, by the way. I, we were going to get there later, but I love Miguel Ferrer as, as Silvermane. I mean, Miguel Ferrer is yeah. one of those great character actors who died way too young. I mean, Gerard, I, I, I seem to recall you saying in the past you're a fan of Miguel Ferrer. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying to think. I was trying to think of a line that he had in RoboCop that I could use, and then I realized I don't think there's one that I could use on this show. <laughs> yeah, you can. It's my show. I don't censor. <laughs> well, uh, well, okay then. Miguel Ferrer, he's a bad motherfucker. <laughs> but no, he, yeah, he was one of Greg's favorite villain actors to work with. Also, he was tremendous as Vandal Savage on the first two seasons of Young Justice, and yeah, and I think he died of throat cancer again, way too young. Yeah, rest in peace, Miguel. Miguel, you did yeah, a good he job. Was... I enjoyed him on. Uh, he was on NCIS uh, Los Angeles. He was a recurring character, and he, he did, he did. I, I liked that character that they created for him, and he was. He kind of came across as a villain at first, because I mean that's just kind of his natural gravitas. <laughs> but as time went on, he, he kind of the, the character softened a little bit, and so that hard edge was still kind was still there, but it was mitigated. I think he did a tremendous job playing that old school gangster. I, mean, I remember when the episode aired, I saw some people on a forum I shall not name, and no, Zach, it's not the one you're thinking of. It's another one that I shall not <laughs> name, saying, oh, this guy sounds too young. And in my head, I'm thinking, my 90-year-old grandfather sounds like Miguel Ferreira's tombstone. <laughs> like, come on, man. You mean Silvermane, not tombstone. Yeah, Silvermane, Silvermane, Silvermane. Silvermane. And Superman, I always thought was one of those underrated characters. I mean, I I enjoyed him on uh, in the old Stanley comics. I think things got a little bit weird when he went full cyborg. I get the feeling later writers are never sure quite what to do with him. Yeah. Now, granted, Superior Foes. Oh, that was the, fun. <laughs> that that like him and Superior Foes was hilarious. Which you don't think that Silvermane as a character would be hilarious, but when you attach Silvermane's head to an RC car. That's just comedy gold. <laughs> also, I don't know what you guys keep talking about old school mobsters. The, the Magia is in no way supposed to be the Mafia. What are you guys talking about? I, I don't know, man. It's not like it was like heavily featured on a video game that I saw a really crazy deep fake that 
Uh, they put uh, uh, Kirsten Dunst and, and Tobey Maguire's faces on the, on the game, and it looks horrible. It looks like awesome, but I'm like kind of horrifying because it's not their voice. Uncanny Valley. Yes. <laughs> oh man, it, it's. But yeah, no, I I don't get the uh, criticism of of, of uh, Silvermane's voice not being old enough. Like, I mean, did you want to sound like this? I like is this? The, I think what like, it comes down to is the guy who did him on a '90s show, who I I remember seeing also in an episode of Babylon Five at one point. Very old man. He sounded kind of stereotypically geriatric. Yeah, and and like this is a guy that's had some work done let's say <laughs> like he's he's trying to to, to to not lose his youth his youth if we're doing Joe Pesci um, we're really leaning into these monster references but this is the York, episode to do it uh, but yeah no, make I, him an offer he can't refuse yeah but the point is the 90s show was deliberately doing the tablet of time story so they were playing up his his, his elderliness yeah. so that for the purposes of the plot yeah, yeah well, here it's more i think i could have seen this show it's... eventually get into that i mean it's a classic stanley story yeah mm-hmm. i like i say it's it's one of those that i i enjoy i enjoyed his his participation i also really enjoyed tombstone in this episode I because really, I, I really enjoy Doc Ock and Vulture's opera capes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you said opera capes. I just I, I when when Doc Ock walked out, I'm like, why is he dressed like a pimp? Oh, right there at the uh, there at the opera. Never mind. <laughs> no, that's porno. That's not a pimp. <laughs> uh, hey, you wanted Ock in a suit? This and uh, was it accomplices? I think came probable. Yeah, no, accomplices came close. Yeah. This is about as good as you're gonna get. It's not. The, it's not the classic white suit with the with the glasses and all that. But it's it's pretty good. I like it. Yeah. Maybe eventually. Oh, and since you weren't here when we did our our uh, recording for for um, accomplices, there was this one scene at the auction where Doc Ock has his tentacles wrapped around these two babes, and one's blonde and one's brunette. And do you know who I think those two might be? Who? <laughs> Stunner and uh, Lady Octopus. Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, there's no. I mean, the fact that they brought in Joe Wade uh, as a character, as a police officer. I mean, there is. I'm sure that that there. And considering that we already knew that anybody that was like in the background most likely was a named character, like would have been a named character like in the comics universe. So yeah, that you're right. I remember us talking about that. I was like, oh yeah, you could be right. I mean, if she had purple hair, it would have been a dead giveaway for Carol. <laughs> right. But she'll die uh, when she goes super villain. <laughs> yeah, she'll die when it, when it becomes later in the two thousands, when purple hair is a thing. Like, you don't, th- you don't think that's natural purple hair. Come on. Now, what well, are you, well, you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Yeah, and there's uh, and you know, and I love me some Doc Ock, especially some over the top Doc Ock when he treachery. I was waiting for, to hear you shout that, Gerard. <laughs> I was Gerard, since the show started, I was waiting for you to scream that. <laughs> and I don't mean to start at this recording. I mean since we recorded our first episode way back a million years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm sorry I disappointed so much. <laughs> no. I, I, 
<laughs> you... I couldn't. I couldn't do a throat clearing, blow out the mics, tractor uh, <laughs> like you did with. Yeah. Oh, that was. Yeah, that was exceptional. So, um, but yeah, let's uh, get in. But yeah, let's discuss the episode. I mean, um, let's discuss the before we dive back into the big scene at uh, Lincoln Center. I think I've been saying for a while, but I think for especially for season two, I think Flash Thompson has been the MVP of the season. He's definitely had some of the biggest character growth, I would say, from season one to season two. And I would say Liz, too. Liz, you know, as much as she annoyed me in season one, she did not annoy me nearly as much in season two. Here's the thing. When she, when, Spidey and Liz, when Peter and Liz get together, the I was annoyed, but then I end up feeling bad for Liz as this drags out. I mean, and Peter <laughs> yeah. is granted not intentionally doing it, but he's clearly stringing her along. Well, and it's one of those things where clearly Liz is supposed to be, yes, there was the crush on Liz, and Liz had a crush on Peter that was revealed at the at the uh, graduation day. Yeah. But, like, Liz very much feels like the, the, the Betty Brant of this series. Even oh, though we she's have... not that crazy. Well, listen, <laughs> listen, I mean... Granted, there will be a, a show that will be covering marvelous women like Betty Brant and uh, other other characters that uh, will be premiering later on in the network. Bam, teeth. That, that was a, that was a clumsy one, though. I'm not giving you points for that. Oh no, man, all right. But no, <laughs> no, Gerard, we haven't really heard from you in a while. I mean, <laughs> uh, this episode rules. Um, first of all, I, I remember sitting there and I. I as soon as the opera started playing, I'm like, I know that. It's Rigoletto. And of course, like, like a nerd, I was correct. <laughs> but good, good use of Rigoletto in this episode. Um, and also referencing the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Thumbs up. I yeah. love that. I really love that. I mean, that's one of those areas that say, I mean, just... For those of you who don't know out there, this refers to an actual incident in which Al Capone slaughtered seven rival gang leaders in what was supposed to be a peaceful meeting. It was the end of his pillar of the community reputation and brought the full force of the police down on him. Just like what happens to Tombstone. And I'm going to presume that the Goblin arranged for this summit on Valentine's Day as a deliberate reference. <laughs> Quite possibly. But uh, yeah, I, I, who was it that referred to it? Was it Silvermane who actually brought up the... Silvermane. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very well done. Uh, well, considering his age, this Silverman may have had a father or a grandfather that did business with Capone. Very likely. Um, one, one like personal note: I, uh, that scene where, where they're at the dinner and Peter's looking at the uh, at the menu and seeing the prices of all the stuff, and then he dips to the side and looks down at his wallet. <laughs> it reminds me of remember when we were at San Diego Comic Con in or not San Diego in a New York Comic Con in a 2014, and we got invited to that Del Rey uh, little thing that they had going I, on. And uh, wasn't hey, like this dinner? Wasn't Mary Jane Watson also at that one? Yes, Mary Jane Watson was sitting. Both of you right now. And, uh, and I did, dude, I did the exact same thing. I remember looked dipping to the side, looking in my wallet to see how much I had. Then somebody mentions like, "Oh no, they're we're paying for it." I'm like, "Yes, oh, okay, <laughs> yes." That exact same scene. I was I was laughing when I saw that because I'm like, I, "I've been there, Peter." He had Vietnam flashbacks but he never been to vietnam <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. no but the, the the biggest thing about this episode is obviously the battle sequence that's going on at lincoln center and it's it's 
dynamic and well done. Like, this show really excelled when it did things like that, where you could just unleash the animators. And this episode uh, was directed by Jennifer Coyle, I believe. Yes, it was. Just like the last Doc Ock episode, Sheer Strength was. We had her on for that. She's she's amazing. She's also the current showrunner for DC Universe's uh, Harley Quinn series. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Um... You're going to have to help me, though. So during the battle, there's a shot that has some cameos in it. I recognize Vic Cook, but who are the other two that were there next to him? I didn't recognize him. I definitely re- did recognize Vic Cook, though. Yeah, Vic Cook was the, was the one in the middle, and I was like, okay, glasses, beard guy, I don't know who that is. And then there was a woman next to him on his well, other I mean, side. Greg Wiseman now has a, has a caveman beard since <laughs> COVID hit. Um, oh, he <laughs> shaved that. Yeah, Greg had his Moses beard, which ended up looking like Santa Claus, and I had until I shaved it my <laughs> Charles Manson beard. <laughs> you, gotta keep, like, you gotta keep your stuff tight, guys. Here, come on. Yeah. Um... I also love that they actually had a fat lady singing as a as a stinger. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I was so glad we were able to get Andrew Robinson on to discuss this episode with Greg last time. <laughs> yes. Um, good character stuff throughout the whole episode, too. Considering that it was all focused on the battle, the fact that they had time to squeeze that in there, like Peter saying goodbye when he was leaving, but he put his hand on Gwen's hand, or the whole bit with Jonah trying to sneak out. And then, and then, and then he gets there. And he's like, "Wait, I was just trying to like." He said something like, "I was just trying to for an excuse." <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize this was actually happening. Yeah. Oh, we still, last... have, we still have time to catch the Knicks. Well, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, the Knicks were sucking anyway. But yes, well, I mean, the Knicks have sucked <laughs> since the early 2000s. since nineteen eighty four. Like after after the nineties heyday of of uh, of the Knicks, it's like <laughs> two thousand hit, and it's like. Patrick Ewing's like, I have no knees. <laughs> Patrick Ewing was old when he got out of, out of college. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the one the one thing I gotta I gotta ding this episode for though. So they have the whole scene where where uh, Mary Jane introduces Gwen. Yeah. You know, oh, it's been made over. Here's the new Gwen. I hate that redesign. Like. It's like, hey, let's take one of our one of our more unique character designs and make her more generic. It's like, ooh, as, as somebody who's artistically inclined, that's highly disappointing. I get the point of it. It's the whole, she's all that, like, hair in a ponytail, glasses on, but she takes it off, and it's like, she shakes the head, and it's like, oh. Yeah. You know, Lee, Lee Cook actually is hot. Oh, okay. Not gonna yeah, lie, exactly. Not going to lie, though, this was a, po- a point of contention when the episode originally aired as well because it's an old cliche and again they were trying to make turn her into and i get what they were doing they were turning her into romita's gwen i mean art wise character wise god no (laughs) right yeah well i mean nobody could be that whiny and and nowadays yeah the only person that was crying in these episodes was liz allen Liz Liz Allen became the gwen stacy of this universe Uh, although i think she had a good reason (laughs) yeah yes fair Uh, but yeah, overall, I really, really like this episode. This is this is a really good one. I, I, I mean, you pointed out the Jazzy Johnny's thing. I love the fact that that was the name of the of the of the restaurant. Like that, that makes me happy. I, I don't know why, but even like in the Daredevil, like it, that one was like the most obscene one of like the mid two thousand early to mid two thousands films. But like all the little references to like different characters. Like I or different creators, excuse me. 
I was like, ah, you know, hey, John Romita. Like, I remember seeing that on the on the neon sign. And I was like, oh, yeah, Joe Quesada. Was wasn't, the, was Joe, a... wasn't Joe Quesada a rapist in that Daredevil yes. movie? Yes, he was. You know what? No, no comment. No comment. No comment. No comment. That, that joke was too low-hanging. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not. Uh... So yeah, no, I uh, I really enjoyed how like like what like I'm gonna echo. I feel like I'm echoing uh, Gerard, and I'm not even though I'm sitting next to him and can see his notes. I am not reading off of his notes. I'm doing this in 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 the old vault. Here. I'm now hiding them from him, so he uh, can't steal my phone. Exactly, exactly. But <laughs> I I will echo some of his sentiments in the the fact that the the dynamic nature of this episode it did feel like an ending of an arc it did feel like if you were watching in in in, in comics watching in comics reading the comics like you, you know that like especially like in the 80s there's always that fight towards the end of like getting towards the end of the issue and or the end of the arc if it's like a three issue arc you know that middle issue always seems like it's a fight right and that carries over into the next issue this just felt right. It almost, when you're watching it, you're like, man, this is a 22-minute episode, but it is it is as cram-packed as a, as a Tom DeFalco-written Spider-Girl story. And for more on that, you can listen to Mayday Mondays here on the Spider-Man oh, Radio Network. Christ, this guy is a corporate no, show. And... No, it's, it's, I mean, it's true. I mean, Vic Cook, one of the things he always said he wanted to do was he wanted to, br- to bring real life to the action scenes. I mean, in a lot of cartoons, especially a lot of action cartoons, the action scenes, I mean, even when they're fun, they are basically generic. I mean, the background really... Doesn't and the environment doesn't often factor in besides being a set piece. But here, yeah. I mean, Lincoln Center's being destroyed. I mean, Ben Franklin's head is taken off at one point. I mean, <laughs> the chandelier's coming down. I mean, the the entire environment participates in the fight, and that's so true with almost every fight scene on this show. He really wanted to bring that level of energy and make them really dynamic. I mean, there, there's very few action cartoons, to the, even today, I think, that have action scenes that quite look like this, and I... Yeah. And also, and one of the memorable moments of season one, and I recall we had a pretty in-depth discussion about it, was that first meeting between Tombstone and Spider-Man. I mean, where mm-hmm. Tombstone blindsides him and pretty much gets a drop on him. It was nice to finally see the bookend to that, where Tombstone even says, I presume you remember our last physical encounter. But you know what? Spidey's on top of his game here. He's not cocky from after taking down the rhino, and he kicks his ass. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where I love that that Tombstone, as a character in this series, is a force of nature. I mean, granted, you would have gotten some of that with Wilson Fisk, but it, it, it's kind of because, like, because of Fisk's size, the assumption is, is that he's fat, but he's just hugely muscular. I mean, uh, with Tombstone, you know that he's not fat. You know he's he's it's like he's chiseled out of stone. So. The physicality kind of works a little better. That's it's it's one of the ways that I feel like the the Tombstone character improved on the the big man. I do believe though that fight scene at the end, especially with all the tr- the jumping and the turning, I do think yeah. that I'm mean, granted we've never seen what Cheeks is designed for Kingpin would have looked like, but given the action sequences on the show, I think they could have pulled it off. Pulled it off. Oh, they would have they would have done a great job. Don't get me wrong. 
Um, but I just think that the physicality of Tombstone really worked. I agree. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not at the point where I want to compare the two shows. I, I don't like doing that. Yeah, there was a time where, you know, oh, fanboy fight between this show or that show. As far as I'm concerned, this show in the 90s are both the best Spider-Man <laughs> shows. And, yeah, but okay. And, like, anyway, like, let me finish. And we should be celebrating them both, especially considering what we've got that came after. <laughs> well, yes. okay, but, you know, but, yes. But, but I was about but, to say, we never really got... Kingpin and Spidey throwing down on the '90s show. I mean, they've scuffled, but yeah. Oh, they did twice. Usually, he's crushing the move. I mean, in the spot, yeah. And again, and uh, what was it? Assume that this is fat. It is in fact not fat. It is muscle. But the way they built up Kingpin, I'd have loved to have seen him really throw down at some point. Oh. I agree, but the the problem with the fight scenes of the 90s show, and I say this as a 90s show fan, and Gerard knows exactly where I'm going. So, like, an explosion happens, we're going back to the Osborne, then we go to a random warehouse, then we go back to the actual fight scene. Like, we, yeah. we go to, like, three, across three different timelines on the fight scenes on the 90s show. So, like... Yeah. <laughs> you would think, given how successful, commercially successful that show was, and how successful the merchandise was, they would have been given a larger budget. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. Fox Kids was doing some weird stuff back then. They were just that that Spider Man show. I, I wish it would have just had more money in it. Yeah, it would have just soared in some more areas than well, it did. I mean, then you look at the. Uh, I mean, you look at X Men season five. Ooh, how about you don't look at X Men season five? <laughs> Although you can all watch it on Disney Plus. No, you can't. There's only one season in air quotes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, no, no. X-Men is correct. Uh, I think Spider-Man, the animated series. No, they, they finally they, fixed they, it. They have every episode or at one point had it all as one season. Yes. They, they had them all as one season, at, like at launch, and they were all out of order, and it was oh, it was awful. Like, they, they screwed the pooch really bad on. Which, granted, I would have liked to have done what the intended release order was, because, like, Venom like Venom was supposed to be, like, towards the end of the season. Was that and the intended release order, or was that just a production order? These things can be pretty different. Well, the the way that... The, the initial uh, order intended of release was that the first two parts of Alien Costume would air kind of in the earlier in the middle of the season like it did, and then there would be a gap between parts two and three. Yeah. And the third part would have been, like, right at the end of the season or something like that. Yeah, I think it was in, actually intended to be the season finale, not Dave the Chameleon. Right. Um, the other one that was also out of order was actually the Spider Return of the Spider Slayers, because there's actually in-story references to it had been several weeks. Yeah. But they were supposed to be because those two episodes aired back to back. There's supposed to be mm-hmm. episodes in between. But anyway, we're not on a show or on a podcast talking now, about if that you show. Want, <laughs> if you want to see more stuff on it, we actually have the uh, collectors that collectors edition uh, handout from the 90s. It actually shows you what the intended order was supposed to be of of season one because they were talking about season one. They had like mm-hmm. the Clone Saga stuff and and the toy line, and then they actually had the cartoon stuff. So if you want to see a lot of that, that's actually up on SpideyDo.com. So uh, check that out. The only, so that, the only thing I have to say about Fox Kids airing episodes out of order, that boy Juggernaut sure made a mess, just like that Yankee Jack <laughs> Sherman. Wait, when did that happen? <laughs> oh, yes, that, oh. the X-Men episodes. And that, well, my goodness. Oh, you man. remember this, don't you? <laughs> Oh, absolutely, because I was watching that when it first aired. Yeah, they flipped the Juggernaut episode and the other one. So, yeah, Juggernaut's attack was supposed to be, yeah. And they had a different ending to the Genosha episode right before that. They just get home and land in the mansion the first time it aired. The second time it aired, they find the mansion destroyed. Uh, I think my personal favorite of those uh, production flubs, though, is in... uh, 
was it the episode that was supposed to air after the Phoenix saga yeah. that, that establishes that Jean Grey is alive aired two seasons later? Yeah, it was like season four. It, was that, that, it aired during season five. It was, it was oh, right. Yeah, like, that's right. That it, was. I've, oof, talked, I've oh. talked to people I know in the industry about, and that once came up, and they're wondering from a production standpoint just how the hell that happens. I yeah, I don't, I don't know either. I, I honestly don't get that. That's, That's largely why they abandoned doing episodes that serialized later, because they realized that, no oh boy, we cannot deliver these properly. Because the, the animation studio just couldn't do it right. Well, I, not to get too spurious or accusatory here, but if you're somebody who's running a show, it's your part of your job to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen. So someone was asleep at the wheel. If, you, if, you're, if you're delivering an episode two years too late, Something really messed up happened, and maybe you should have just canceled that. Who was the yeah. showrunner on the '90s X-Men? I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I can tell I, you who John Semper was, but uh... <laughs> that's because he takes credit for everything on the internet about Spider-Man. I mean, <laughs> did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. His name is my. I, I could see like the credit popping up. Right, it was Eric something. Eric Leewald. Possibly, I, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, they brought him in to do the third season of Gargoyles. <laughs> Oh, the best season of Gargoyles. I, I can't even make that joke because somebody might think I'm being serious. <laughs> oh, please. No one will think you're serious. No one thinks that's the best season. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Eric Lawton does. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Zach, continue your thoughts on the subject. Yeah, I, I, I'll, just, I'll just kind of finish my thoughts by saying I, I give this an A. Plus, this was an A plus episode. It was dynamic. It was great. The storyline was well executed. Loved the bits with Jonah. Uh, the, the, it's really funny because we're setting up Jonah's eventual divorce. <laughs> no, she's being shot by a masked man. Oh, that's right. If we're going <laughs> off the '90s show, the reason that I don't like masked menaces is I would my wife was shot by a masked menace. Let's throw that same shot. 15 times in the episode. Yep, uh, exactly. Jonah, uh, Jonah, we love you. But uh, I, like you, I also give this one an A, and I'm going to be interested to hear what Gerard's grade is going to be because this is one of the most talked about and praised episodes of the series. To the point where early on, very early on in the show, I decide, okay, I'm going to stop building this thing up with Gerard because I don't want to reach this point when we get <laughs> to this episode and... That's and have it have it, it, it you, you, the spit of despair that forms all of a sudden. <laughs> no, I also I I have my grades already written on here. I just showed Zach. Yeah, I gave this one an A also. Great episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is uh, it's like this is one of those things. Remember when I said that Revelations Part Four is everything I want in a Spider-Man story? A lot of what we saw here was also everything I want in a Spider-Man story. You got great character dynamics, all the stuff with its supporting cast. Great villain, some great action, some great plot twists. Uh, 100% agree. What? I 100% agree. I mean, this was very well done. I mean, and, it, and Hammerhead, you are such a stooge. Such a stooge. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was even rubbed in his face. The, 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 the waiter gives him, when the flowers come in, the flowers obviously have some kind of jamming device in them. Mm. For the phones, it's even signed, hope you like the flowers, G, and Hammerhead doesn't, like, oh, I wonder who sent me that posies. Uh, could it be the guy who a few short months ago tr- kidnapped you and tried to take over your boss's empire, whose initials are GG? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been a little bit more on the nose if it had been, <laughs> you know, 
of the Green Goblin. Signed, yeah. No, it could have been signed with a stamp shaped like a jack-o'-lantern. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had those back then. I remember having a jack-o'-lantern stamp back in the day. Yeah, uh, nor who the person he turns out to be, goes down to Hallmark and buys the, the arts and crafts things from the kitty department. Yeah, either that or Hobby Lobby. Or he sends, mm. or, or he sends Houseman, who appears in two, in two episodes from now down there, and we're going to make so many jokes when we get to him, just as one little cameo. Nice. <laughs> All right, I, I, I guess that kind of sort of wraps up this episode, doesn't it? I feel like we've discussed a lot, and yet I feel like we haven't discussed enough. There was just so much going on throughout this oh. this episode. I mean, it's just jam-packed. None of it ever feels like filler. They don't waste a moment. Right. Well, I agree with that completely, yes. Uh, Lots of good momentum. Everything you want in an episode. What happened to the next couple of... Okay, I won't do that. Oh, there's a tease for the next fan panel. <laughs> so stay tuned for another great interview with Greg Wiseman. That'll be next episode, and then following that, we'll have a oh yeah, uh, yeah. Stay tuned for our interview with Greg Wiseman and, and episode writer Nicole Dubuque when we discuss subtext, and then come back for our next fan panel. Exactly. We'll and, see. And one more thing: we are slowly or quickly, depending on how fast these come out, building up to our finale episode. We want to hear from you. Yes, sir. So you can leave us a voicemail at 818-925-6631 or, of course, leave us an email at spectacularradio at gmail.com. Uh, we will be playing the any and all voicemails for Spec Radio. We'll be playing them on, on our finale, uh, which will be Final Curtain, the fan panel for Final Curtain. So uh, start, uh, start typing those emails and, and asking those questions, whatever questions you want to ask us about the uh, Spectacular Spider-Man let us, you know, give us an ask, or uh, we're going to be alert, working on doing it live? Question mark. We're not doing it live. <laughs> no, no, we're not. Yeah, Zach, you we're not. We're, we're not doing it live. But, but <laughs> no, we'll we'll uh, we'll be doing uh, definitely be doing something big and epic for the uh, for the final episode. So, like Greg says, this is kind of our march towards it. And we're looking really forward to the to to getting to that point. I, Greg, you know, was joking which was going to end, which was going to finish up first the the '90s part of the Clone Saga on CSC or Spec Radio. So Spec, we it's down to the wire. <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, we technically have like two '90s issues that we haven't covered yet. So, um, but wait, there's more. So, so we'll, we'll see uh, more to come on that. Be sure to uh, go to Spidey-Dude.com. Follow us on our socials. Uh, our social media is at Spidey Dude Radio on Twitter, at Spidey Dude Radio Network on Facebook, uh, at Spidey Dude Network on Instagram. And you can also go, uh, go and uh, join our Discord. Uh, you can find that link up on the front page of Spidey-Dude.com. So be sure to follow all those things. We've got some new episodes of ASM Classics. Got some episodes in the can. Uh, maybe by the time this is done, this may, we may have one or, or so out of Mayday Mondays. But uh, also, if depending on when this is a release, we'll have the Spidey Dude Experience, our new flagship show uh, here on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. So that's uh, that's something that's going to be covering the uh, Nick Spencer run. So ch- uh, check that out. Uh, episode zero and episode one. Hopefully, will be out. Uh, they're due to come out on Labor Day weekend. So. Um, just uh, stay tuned. We got a lot. We got a lot more stuff coming your way. So uh, be sure to check out our socials and uh, follow us on our various social medias.
treachery!